You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Boroma. Hey y'all, it's Anissa. It's the end of the year, and as we all reflect on the dramas we loved in 2021, we thought it would be a good time to release this spoiled yak on one of our favorites, Run On. Our friend, Soul Beats editor Rimi, joined Borma and I for a long and detailed squeeze session about the show. If it sounds familiar, that's because we actually recorded this as a live stream on Valentine's Day. In the spirit of Miju's movie madness, and my own, our topic headings for this spoiled yak were all film references. Listening again as I edited, it brought back all my feelings for this incredibly well-written, moving, hilarious show. Next up is an epic three-part year-end yak, which took us an actual day to record. Oh my god. We're our own worst enemies, really. Hint. Run-on shows up on one of our top three of the year lists. I bet you'll be so surprised too. Yes, I know, it's super obvious. Since this is my last intro of the year, I wanted to say thanks for sticking with us as we lived through 2020 yet again somehow, while also being more tired and more angry. Dramas were such a bomb, as was this lovely community we've all built together. Saya and Borama, you light up my life. I mean that in the cheesiest way possible. Listeners, patrons, and friends, we love you. If you'd like to help keep our lights on, you can find our page at patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. And now, lace up your shoes, and let's run on. Hi, I'm Anissa. I'm Parma, and today we have with us Rimi, who is a returning guest. And she is, of course, an avid K-drama fan, but also an excellent writer and recently an editor of Soul Beats, which is a a great website. You should go read their articles there. Yes, we also review (laughs) K-dramas. Yes, they do. (laughs) And we did a a little yak a while back. And Anissa and I love the drama so much that we promised that if we kind of stuck to it till the end, we would come back and do a proper spoiled yak, so that's why we're here. We're back. Uh, spoiler alert, we loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about it. And um, we're doing something a little... Oh, first of all, happy Lunar New Year. And happy Valentine's Day. A lot of stuff going on. Um, but we wanted to do something special with our topics. So like because the whole um, drama is so full of movie references... Um, We thought it'd be fun to do movie references for our topic titles. So if you know the movie, just guess and we'll put your comment up if you get it right. So, yeah, we'll probably put your comment up regardless. (laughs) Yeah, we always put your comments up because we love your comments. But um. But, uh, this audio is going to also be part of our podcast later on. So our podcast listeners are going to know how smart you are at having guessed the movie reference. (laughs) Exactly. We'll give you shout outs. So general (laughs) thoughts, everyone. Remy, go first, since you're our guest. Woohoo! Uh, so first and foremost, I loved Run On. I mean, you know, I typically tend to skip quite a few scenes in dramas um, because there's so much repetition of tropes and ideas, um, a lot of dialogue. And Run On was just fresh and engaging throughout its run. So I loved it. I didn't really skip a lot of it. Um, 
there were side stories that hooked me as much as the main romance story. Um, I wasn't very fond of the Yongha and so Sodana, just romance, and we'll touch upon that. But beyond that, I thought it was a fantastic show. Adored it. Loved the soundtrack. Sorry by 2F. Like that song has now made it into my permanent Spotify playlist. Yeah. The soundtracks <laughs> were pretty. I yeah, agree. They like your warmth. Definitely. The music was great. I was like constantly listening to the OST for a while when I was like writing about the show. Yeah. Um, I have to say that um, maybe I should say this later, but there's like that OST that comes on at the end of episode six. That's sorry. Like I spent like a week asking everyone who, are, what is the song? Please tell me um, before it finally went up like on. Asian Vicky yeah, they, they really get us with like the releasing it in the episode and then they wait a little bit before it's actually officially released as a song. And then you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good marketing strategy. What about you, Farma? Um, I really love the OST, of course, but I wasn't like listening to it so much on loop. What I was doing is something I almost never do, which is rewatching episodes. I don't do that. Because I, I mean, maybe I do it like six months, eight months later, but I don't immediately go back and rewatch an episode. But I had to because often I would feel like they had this entire exchange and I felt the energy and, and kind of the it, it felt really heavy and impactful and I had feelings, but I didn't quite catch all of the dialogue. So I had to go back and rewatch so that this time I got the foreshadowing. I got what certain dialogues meant connected to certain other scenes that happened at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I really agree with what you said about rewatching them immediately because I started watching this um, when I started recapping it. And then, like, I told my sister about it and I was trying to convince her. And then eventually I was like, she, she wears the same kind of outfits that you do. And she's like, okay, I'm watching it. And then afterwards I was like, you only watched it because she has the same fashion. She was like, no, I would have watched it anyway. Um, but so we watched it together. Like, um, I kind of watched it again with her. I would watch it. And then, and then the end, we were on the same page. But like, it's so good to rewatch even immediately because um, I was watching an interview with the four main actors and Im Shiwan was saying how like, the most enjoyable part of this is like the dialogue is so delicious for an actor. Like it you like gives it a lot to like chew on and express. And it's true. Like it's so complex and layered and um, it's like really entertaining. And you can tell that they're also really enjoying it. And they're yeah. really and it does. It gives you so many feelings. Like I would go back and be like, oh, my God, that conversation needs like at the end of episode six. I think I like rewound that scene like four times. <laughs> That was like one of the most romantic things, soon-worthy things I've seen in K-dramas. And we've seen a lot of like soon-worthy romantic things, but that was that was beautifully done. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the end of episode two, I was like, I mean, sorry, eight. It was better than an episode eight kiss. I was like, this is, this is romance. Yeah. The awkwardness after the confession somehow just made it more real and just like, I, I felt like I was intruding in a personal moment. It was perfect. <laughs> But also, you know what really stood out to me about episode six, the ending. Okay, so um, for people who are okay with spoilers, haven't watched episode six, uh, let, let us just explain what we're talking about. This is a scene where Miju is like half asleep and um, you have Sangyum kind of like looking at her like, I think she she's half asleep in a car. And she's half and drunk. He's just, she's very drunk, actually. She's quite drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just waiting outside the car while she's sleeping it off. And then... Suddenly, 
she uh, just says, I, okay, what's the exact dialogue? And he said, I don't want to screw it up. So later, can you like me? Can you, yeah, can you please like me? And he's like, I already am. And then they insert that music right at that moment. And you're just like, <gasps> I, and the thing is, you don't expect this particular moment with these two, right? There is, they had been pretty reserved in some ways. I mean, they had almost kisses. They had like, like kind of these, the, these tense moments, like where Miju came up really close to Sangyam. And he was the one who was drunk that time. There were there were these moments that had happened, but they were pretty. There was this kind of restrained distance between the two of them, so you don't expect that moment to happen, but it happens, and you know. And you know what's so great about that moment, and like so many other things, is that it's played then as a really romantic moment, and then later on, I think it's in episode nine when they have that whole conversation. Where he gives her the shoes and he's like, hey, I'm moving out. And she's like, wait, what? What? Like, I thought we were, you know, like, what do you mean you're moving out? And then and then he's like, I'm I'm just doing what you asked. I'm liking you. And she's like hurt by that because she's like, I wasn't. I mean, you don't need to do me a favor, but here's him like confessing. But he's so awkward that he doesn't know how to express himself. So like there's all these callbacks to moments that like take on a different meaning later on. And I really love that, like that complexity of going back to earlier moments, but not just in a way of like, oh, hey, remember this moment? Here you go again. Like a lot of dramas just do this. Like, hey, remember episode five when like this happened? (laughs) But it doesn't add anything to the story. But it's like so everything builds their relationship and builds the characters in a really great way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it does. And again, I mean, I know we're really like our podcast listeners are tired of us talking about this, but we have issues with uh, banter that's glib for no reason. This drama, <laughs> after the heartbreak of Record of You, this drama came on. And and the thing is, okay, we'll we come back to this later. Like how quickly I fell for this drama was ridiculous. But from practically the first scene, the first dialogue, it, everything was just pat. They were... It, like they didn't seem to miss a beat but then they would have this pause and an awkward moment like the other person didn't quite get yeah. what this particular like super witty remark actually meant and that happens in real life and that was the difference between a glibly written script that the actors are just memorizing and like I don't know vomiting out and a considered <laughs> script where the dialogue is smart but the actors are actually acting it out and there is a realistic, you know, silence between the exchange as the other person processes it. Am I making sense? Makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that they did a great job with like showing these two slowly begin to communicate better. Like one of the viewers, CBME, communicates that and it's great that they showed how communication even between people who are clearly into, into each other doesn't just magically happen. And I agree, like at the beginning, they are so different from one another right like she's really into movies he doesn't like movies he runs she's like zero exercise (laughs) they're not even awake at the same time (laughs) they're not even awake at the same time and like through the course of the drama we slowly see them start to combine their worlds together um like she starts to change the timings she's up you know he starts to watch movies with her um, she starts running and, you know, we, we talked about the scene in episode nine where he gives her the shoes and he's like, I'm moving out <laughs> or whenever that happens. But, you know, and she's just, I, you know, she was really hurt because like it, he just sprung it on her out of nowhere. Like if he liked her, he'd have been communicating that the whole time. 
um, that he's thinking of moving out. Or, but, you know, we see towards the end of the drama when Ki Sun Gyom is taking a decision, before he takes that decision, like say the situation with his father having not done anything about his sisters, like that whole scandal, like he discusses it with her. So I really loved how they slowly, like it was so nicely shown, these two people with very different worlds, very awkward with one another at first. They slowly began to come together. And the pace of that combining of their worlds was spread out very evenly, really nicely throughout the show. And I think that contributed to the kind of banter that we saw where it seemed so natural and so believable, so beautifully done. Totally agree. Yes, shout out to Saya, Dr. G. <laughs> she, yeah, we had way we had way too many conversations about banter on the podcast. Um so so before we move on to the next topic, I just want to say like did nobody get the reference from the topic title? Well, let me bring back. Let me bring, bring back. back the topic. I think yeah. people just forgot what the topic title was, <laughs> which was for our audio-only listeners. Uh, you had me at hello, and this drama definitely had me at hello. I fell in love with the first scene before they talked, like when they put their shoes on in that side-by-side scene. I was like, oh. yes, this is my people. I don't, I don't know. It's just something about the aesthetic and like the feeling. I, it just got me immediately. Yes. Naya Yan, you got it. Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> hey, Dr. G got it too. Yeah, good job. <laughs> it's very obvious. They're not very difficult. These are like very obvious ones. <laughs> we just wanted to have some fun. And Jerry Maguire was a big theme throughout this drama as well. I was also yeah. thinking like, should we use show me the money for this? Because like the drama definitely showed us the money. Gave us the good stuff. <laughs> That's right. So... Nikki Potter has a really good point that they basically uh, use the conversation to build something instead of just using, you know, really amazing lines for clicks. And yeah, they did. Every dialogue, every exchange that they had was building the relationship, letting them get a bit closer. And I think the drama does a really good job of juxtaposing the first scene with the final scene where Miju's like, hey, did we just have a moment where we were perfectly in sync? <laughs> Do you remember the first time we met and how we could barely talk to each other? <laughs> that was really great. And you can actually see their relationship building from that first episode to the final episode. And Miju's words were true because we as the audience have seen the progress in their yeah. language with each other. Also, uh, Nayayan also points out that they kept, they agreed to keep using formal language. And that was also just something that I really liked. How much they... Like, there were some hard feelings about um, the other person not understanding each other, especially on Miru's part. Yeah. But by the end of it, they could effectively tell each other, hey, this is how I want to do something. And the other person considered it and either accepted or rejected it. But it was like, that is the level of communication you want in relationships. So, yeah, this is a great Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. this, was, this was like a genuine connection between the two. You could feel it. It was so real and was so believable and so nicely done. Yeah. So we agree that we love them together, but I also wanted to talk about them individually because I think they were such amazing and unusual characters. So should we move on to the next topic? Mm -hmm. Yes, let's do that. So this topic is Little Orphan Miju, and obviously it's about Miju's character and her journey. So what did you think about Miju's character? Okay, sure. Uh, I think Miju is instantly very likable. They definitely chose the right actress. Um, Shin, sorry, Shin Se Kyung, right? That's her name. She, Shin Se Kyung, yeah. she speaks English. 
uh, Miju was supposed to speak English, so like they they definitely chose the right actress. I think she she made Miju very believable. Like Shin Se Kyung is super pretty, but she dressed down. Um, you know, her hair was really wavy and really messy most of the time, like mine. So like she kind of dressed down and. She really looked her role, of course, while still looking super pretty, but like she really looked her role. Um, she made Miju very likable, very believable. I loved how honest she was. And the thing I loved most of all, you know, there are a lot of dramas where they show that a character has a passion for something and they're so into it, but you never see them actually doing it. Like there's this much mm-hmm. love drama called Because This Life Is Our First. And yeah. honestly, the lead, she's supposed to be a drama script writer. She supposedly loves it, but like you never once see her watching a drama. The whole I, show. I pointed this out like, in our podcast. Oh, yeah, I'm just like, like what? The Miju's like, she's constantly writing and she's constantly at work. Like you see her so involved and so deeply into, into this thing that she loves, right? Like it was so believable, so real. And Shin Se Kyung's portrayal was so nice. Um, I feel like, yeah, actually Miju and uh, Sodana, these two were my favorite characters throughout, even more than Hee Sung Kyung. Sorry, no. Ethan Gyeom. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> How can we choose? I don't know. They're all my babies. <laughs> That's true. I agree with your comments. Um, some of you had said um, Ella mentioned and also Natalie, but how she has like this dark backstory. And like, I, I remember in the beginning, people were like, oh, are they going to go into her backstory? But I agree that it was really nice that it just kind of came out like her rough childhood and all the things that happened to her. It just came out organically when things happened that kind of brought those moments back for her, which is so much more realistic than like having like a long flashback sequence to and it wasn't it wouldn't have fit with like where she is now as a person, you know, and how much she's like you got such a sense of like how what a journey she's come on and what she's been through and like how May has been there for her and and what they've built together. And then there's all that part about like how you know, Sung Kim can do the same thing for Wushik, the way that, you know, Mei helped her and like, be- so there was a, a lot of this like mentoring sort of stuff happening between different characters, which I loved because it was like passing on, like you received something and now you're passing that on to others. And like, um, she was kind of the, I guess, like the nucleus of that in the drama. Like she was the one who did that and like, and it sort of like spread outward from her to a lot of the other characters. And I really loved that. And I noticed this, um, in the se- episode 16 where like it's as if they're like passing hugs around to each other like one person will give a comforting hug and then that like she hugs Sunkyum when he finds out what's going on with his sister and then he hugs his sister and then like Dana comforts Younghwa and then Younghwa goes to Sunkyum and cries on his shoulder and he hugs him and then like later on when Younghwa finds about Yejun's feelings he hugs him and they cry together so it was just like I don't know I, I loved that that was really that was really nice <laughs> So I, I completely agree with everything you guys said. Her backstory is just better not shown in a linear fashion because we know the story of the orphan girl who doesn't get treated well by society. We know the story. We have seen the story. We know it in a realistic manner. It's more interesting because we only get to get the, see the snippets of Miju's memories when connected with something that is happening right now. So she goes through something, it reminds her of something else that had happened in the past that was a direct consequence of being an orphan child without having a parent to uh, protect or support her. And that is something like she either mentions in a glib line or maybe it's something in a quiet moment or something that is just her expression and it's just perfect, the perfect way to reveal a backstory. Also, I really liked, I mean, I know I could have totally 
gone into more about me and her relationship but i like that we got snippets here snippets there and we got to see that in an overall way me kind of made her you know as as you guys said uh, did what songyum is doing for wushik but also that me's family had actually adopted her so it's not that she was orphan meju anymore she has a family it's her found family and even though it's not like a daily thing that they are constantly pushing at us it's there and it gives her moral support so it was just lovely to find that out slowly <laughs> i also really love the combination of like being outspoken and being realistic that she has which i don't think i've seen in a character before where she like she can't hold back like when she sees something that she doesn't agree with like she has to say something but then yeah. also like she's an underemployed freelancer like totally relatable <laughs> so there are times where she just like swallow her pride and apologize when she's not in the wrong cuz she doesn't have the power yeah. and i was like wow this is like extremely real and <laughs> it's kind of hard to watch but i love it you know and yeah. they did all of this without making her like a candy right with who always has pure intentions and all that like she was just very realistic yes. and very believable agreed all of that dr chi writes that she didn't quite like meju's wardrobe because it was ill fitting but i kind of thought that was trendy as you can see i wear <laughs> really loose fitting clothes myself so i think it's just a style <laughs> yeah I liked her style. It's not my style, but uh, I thought she was completely unstylish and that was like the point of the character. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Sangyum was unstylish. I'm sorry. His clothes I, were I a disaster. Completely agree. I went out looking for pants like Miju. I wanted ill-fitting <laughs> pants like that, man. Unfortunately, they would never quote and quote ill-fit me the way they ill-fit her. <laughs> But speaking of Sungyeom's wardrobe, unless we have something else to say about Meju, we can move on to his character. Um, just give me a second to go through all of the comments. Unfortunately, in my excitement, I haven't been looking. Yeah, there's definitely a disagreement in the comments about whether her style is amazing or if it's terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> that I did true. not expect this to be a point of contention. This is hilarious. <laughs> Neither did I. Okay, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> which is Sungyeom the extraterrestrial it's a very obvious nobody needs to guess we all know what that refers <laughs> yeah, to you, but you you don't get extra points for guessing this movie <laughs> okay somebody else go first this time Anisa okay yeah i can go um i think we've never seen a drama hero like this before he is awkward he's non-toxic he is not full of himself at all He um he has trouble communicating but he's so like willing to listen to people which was probably one of the first things I noticed about him is how like he really observes and listens to people and he um we don't really get told if he's neurodivergent or if he if it's a result of his upbringing or if it's a combination of both but he has a very different way of relating to people he doesn't do that thing where he's constantly reacting to the other person in a way that makes them like super comfortable in the way that like most people are socialized to do and that like a lot of us do automatically he doesn't necessarily like constantly smile and constantly respond to like fill the silence but whatever he says is so full of substance he's never like rude um even if other people sometimes take his bluntness as rudeness but like i don't know i just loved everything about him i loved how willing he was to admit his mistakes and learn and move on and grow Yeah, I just and I felt so sad for him so many times. Like he was so he was so bachata, like he was so um like there's that one scene where she tells him like 
you should love yourself. And he's like, oh, I never really... I don't remember the exact lines because it's been a while, but he's just like, it never occurred to him that he could love himself. And that's just like so devastating. Like he says these things really matter of factly. And then you're just like, oh, my heart just broke and fell on the floor in like little pieces. So, yeah, I just wanted to like adopt him. And then Miju adopted him. So it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that she treated him like that. I'm sorry, (laughs) go on. (laughs) Oh, no. I was going to say, you know, and he does all of this despite being incredibly rich, like our usual wealthy K-drama character is incredibly arrogant. So he's and, and being incredibly good looking. I mean, Im Shivan, come on. <laughs> so he's, he's incredibly rich, you know, but he doesn't come across as being arrogant or even though he clearly throws his money around, right? Like the time he was at, um, he was at the filming uh, with the foreigners where, she, where Miju was acting as a translator. He like shifted the entire production crew to a better hotel on his own dime. That's ridiculous. He, he, I mean, he clearly has a lot of money. He, he gives it away freely um, without, like, I don't know. I feel like people who normally have that much money, like, I don't know, can come across as arrogant, like spending so much, but he just does it so naturally. Yeah. It's it's, it's very strange, uh, but really nicely handled. You make such a good point because in most, like most rich characters in that situation would either just get their own separate hotel room for themselves and not care about the rest of the crew, or they would be generous, but they would be like making a big deal about the fact that they, out of their great generosity and richness, are doing this for everyone. But he just, like, kind of does it and, like, moves on. And then, like, the um, May and that other producer are, like, thanking him. And he's just like, eh, whatever. Like, he doesn't he doesn't yeah. make a big deal about his generosity. He's just like, I have a lot of money. Here you go. Like, use it. Yes, Boromba. <laughs> also, this is what makes him so different from other K-drama uh, heroes of, you know, yesteryears. A chebol who does something like this would immediately kind of throw it uh, at the candy's face and be like, you know, do something for me. And it would be something ridiculous, like go on a date with me or go on a walk with me. But the point is, it'll be used as a leverage. He would never just do it because he's seeing people cramped in a space that he considers unhygienic and just thinks, let me help them because I can, which is Sangyeom's whole character. Yeah, but like his character, like you said, is like the bedrock is the sense of justice and the sense of like fairness that he has so that's why he couldn't handle he like, he couldn't bear to watch what Ushik was going through right and he was like yeah. I have to do something about myself and I have to kind of give Ushik hope for even though it didn't work out but like he assaulted those guys and like he confessed to it because he himself wanted to be punished so that Ushik could see that they should be punished or such yeah. a different approach to take two things yeah like um, CB Me said, he uses he treats money as a tool to accomplish what needs to be done. It's not like you said, Borma, where he's using it to emotionally blackmail people with the power that he has over them. He's just like, oh, look, I have more power than you in this situation. Thus, the fair thing for me to do is to use the power I have so that you don't have to put yourself in a bad position because you're actually like in a much worse place than I am. Like, he's just very clear eyed about that. Yeah. Yeah. The auntie's at the hospital. So like when he when Miju is sick and she's in the hospital and there's like these ajumas in the next bed that are talking so much. And he's like, what can I do for you? And she's like, I want to sleep. <laughs> so he goes and like talks oh, to them in whispers. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. You need to you need to explain the entire situation. So he comes to visit Miju when she's in the hospital and then the aunties won't let her go to bed. 
and she's practically in tears and she's like just make them stop and he's like I'll take care of it and then he goes <laughs> and you're like what is he going to do and then he just sits there and chats with the aunties so that they don't disturb me too <laughs> very quietly <laughs> and he's like shh this is an example of how different his character is and he's so likable that way he knows yeah. to do the important things you guys is what we're saying yeah <laughs> We kind of already talked about the next topic, so we could just go through it quickly. An OTP to remember. Ooh-hoo. This one's a reference to a Korean movie, so if you know what it is. It was also referenced in the drama. So is there anything about the, the main romance that we didn't mention yet that we want to talk about? I think the breakup deserves a mention as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Mandatory yes. thing in all Korean dramas where like episodes 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere there has to be a bit of a breakup or a long distance or whatever um, to show how I think close they are and how they overcome this fight or this distance. But even here, I, I didn't enjoy the episode where they were apart. Like episode 13, in my opinion, was the weakest episode. But I feel like the reason for which it was done, like Miju being kind of incredibly uncomfortable with Sun Kyung's father spying on her, I think it's very valid. And then her not knowing how to handle that and then saying things she doesn't necessarily mean. Like, I feel like in many dramas, these, this, this breakup or this distance is like really contrived. But here, I really related. Like, I understood why she did it because I would hate it as well. And I'm sure most of our viewers or listeners would hate it as well. So, yeah, the conversation they had outside her house was like gutting. <laughs> like, it was it was hard to watch, but it was so good because like, I mean, there was so much going on there, right? Like, she is basically totally, you know, justified in all that she's saying. She's like, let's not talk right now. And he's like, no, no, it's OK. Like, tell me what you're actually feeling and then she's like, oh, but like these emotions are my own to handle. Like, I don't need to make you handle them. But he's like, he always wants to know what she's thinking. Right. And then she tells him. And what I also found was really good is before this, like the encounter with his dad was so terrifying. Like, I've mm. never felt like physically threatened while watching a like a rich parent be like to a like a poor person, like you're not good enough for my kid. But I was like, oh, my God, this is scary. So, like, you can feel how traumatized she is by that. And then, like, the whole thing where he's like, like, don't, um, what did he say to her? Brahma, you're much better at remembering, like, the exact dialogue than me. I'm sorry for, like, butchering this. But he, where he's like, let's just take some time. Like, just do me the favor of giving me some time. Like, yeah. so, yeah, I just, I really love that whole thing. And it, there was no noble idiocy. It was just very real. Absolutely. And, like Hisa, there's a commentator called Hisapi who says the writer took all the tropes and subverted them. So many familiar setups turned out so unexpectedly. So true. And like, I think this was one of them. Yes, yeah. totally agree. Yeah. Hisa. Yeah. Another and, and- one was the bribe at the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah. Where me too took it. And then Sanyong found out and she's just like, yeah, I took it. I'm poor. I need money. And he's like, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. And also, it was interesting that she never said, I gave it back. Because yes. that wasn't the point. The point was that she took it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was kind of frustrated with that initially because I was like, why isn't she telling him that she gave it back? But then over time, I kind of realized, as you said, that was never the point. The point was that it was offered and therefore the insult was offered. And it doesn't matter what she did because at the end of the day, she wasn't the one who had gone and be like, give me money. It wasn't mm-hmm. her intent that matters. It's his father's intent, which was just... And and the inherent 
like reality of their differences in class that yeah. is always going to be there. You know, like that's just a that's just a thing that they have to deal with. Yeah. Like she says to him in that scene where she tells him that she took it and she's like, this is the kind of person like this is the kind of life that I've lived. People have always felt like they can just buy my cooperation or buy my silence or buy whatever they want from me because I'm like, this is the position that I'm in in society. And I was like, oof, like, what do you even say to that? On a typical Sankyam manner, he just, he let it go. He did. But I did like this one line. Thanks, Nayanan. I've kind of forgotten that line that when Miju kind of says that, you know, give me that space, give me some, um, it's, that whole breakup dialogue, he's like, do you think it was polite to like say that to yes. me? Yes. It that that was that hit me because he had come there trying to fix things, keep them together somehow because he really didn't want his father's meddling to separate them. Basically, he was clinging to Miju and Miju was being self-protective. She had never she had had relationships before and she and they had talked about the history of Miju's relationships. She kind of ran away whenever things got complicated because she just didn't feel like any of those things were worth committing and if she felt like her self-respect was uh, threatened even in the slightest manner she was like I'm out (laughs) but this time she just couldn't stay out (laughs) no and and he was not upset that she wanted to break up he was like how could you make me say it yeah you know and that was such a great character detail because it like goes back to her running away and so even in this moment she's still running away because she's like not willing to be the one to say it and she makes him say it and he's like did you have to make me say it? Like, what about respecting my feelings? And, I, and it like goes back to his inherent sense of justice where he's like, that was unjust. Like, even in this like emotionally charged, really upsetting moment, he can't just let it go. Yeah. And all of this points to some really strong like characterization and really strong dialogue writing and like scene like plotting and like overall just yeah. really strong writing and a solid interpretation of the characters by the actors and the oh. all just overall super well done. Before we move on from Sangyam, I think this needs uh, a mention. It's that so we know that Sangyam is uh, like there was some neurodivergent um, arc, so to speak. Like he he mm. had been suppressing a lot of emotions from childhood that created issues that he never got help for and clearly none of his family is even going to think about therapy not with his dad being an assemblyman so there was all of that stuff and he was dealing with all of those things himself he was clearly somebody who knew that there were things that he wasn't being able to process but he was just like well I'll take my time and see if I can and if I don't understand then I don't understand what can I do about it and his good friends, like I really like that the I forget the name of the um uh the the guy who would always beat him uh, on the track, his friend. Um Young Il. Young Il. Yeah. Young Il was kind of okay with Sangyum being the way he was. I mean, out of everybody else who was kind of friends with him before he met Miju and Youngwam, Young Il was okay with him not knowing that he'd been dating somebody for ten years. <laughs> I love their friendship so much. <laughs> exactly so it's just i i really liked that they didn't they took they didn't exactly spell out any kind of diagnosis because that wasn't necessary what was necessary was that yes he didn't 
think like a neurotypical person. He didn't process information the same way. And it was difficult for him to create new relationships and, you know, strong ones and then keep them because keeping them is hard. You have to remember people's feelings. You have to interpret what they're trying to say. All of this stuff is really hard. And he learns that with Miju. Yeah. And also Yonghua, I think we should definitely give Yonghua credit because he's just like, Hyong! And he's decided that they're just going to be like, you know, connected through the finger touch forever. <laughs> the E.T. brotherhood. <laughs> this director really loves E.T. because there were a lot of E.T. moments where people were just like doing the finger touch. It's uh, great. Okay. I, I agree that Young Il was fantastic. We should move on because otherwise we're going to be here for like three hours. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> We kind of covered the next topic a bit, didn't we, though? Yes. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to add? This topic is standing up to abusive family and the and the movie references going to the mattresses. Right. Yeah. I don't really have a lot to add. Bora, yeah. Mike, go ahead. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I love how you like, so- raise your hand like you're in class. <laughs> um, okay. So the one thing that I found, um, it, it was... <sighs> I've seen a lot of K-dramas deal with family, abusive family situations and deal with it amazingly. But uh, yes, Natalie, you're right. The Godfather. <laughs> yes. Go, Natalie. <laughs> um, but it's it's something else to watch um, his father kind of do that thing where he very clearly views every member of the family as a pawn to progress his own game. Um, and if they're not being useful, then they can be discarded. The way he treated his daughter was, I don't even know what, what to call it. I that, mean, that was like, it left me feeling disgusted. I was like, that. it was so gross like, that was and upsetting. Terrible. Yeah. 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 So, and therefore, and the thing is, of course, his family concluded that we can't do anything because we're family. What, what are we going to do about this? Aside from let's not support this man anymore yeah. <laughs> which which was its own punishment which was which was fine actually but I it's think, just um, i'm just going to add to that yeah, i no. feel like the depiction of their family was slightly different here than in other dramas again because there was already a lot of distance between the members of like the four the brother sister and like the parents when they were introduced like, they're not living in the same house they're not constantly in each other's lives asking each other what's happening like I feel like physically and emotionally, there was a lot of distance and there wasn't any except, you know, to the outer world. But like, I don't know, I feel like there wasn't as much interference from family and as much. I don't know. I feel like usually these families, there's there's there, there's a lot more like they're much more close, like they live together. There's more. It was like a different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Because the children were raised kind of in their careers and like at a distance and yeah without yeah. much off parental attention yeah but it was i found that so nuanced because it is like a different type of dynamic that we've seen before and we talked about this in the first in the little yak that we talked about but like there's so much history in the way they communicate with each uh, that they don't communicate with each other we're like there's that dinner scene right or that lunch scene where like um the dad throws a glass and cuts sungyam's face and then yeah. his sister just like slowly moves the other glass away from him. But like nobody is shocked. No one's surprised. No one's like, seen that. Just like, oh, this before. is normal. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a good depiction of how abusive families work because that is what happens. It just becomes normalized. And then like, 
So on the topic of abusive families, then um, there's also I think Dana's family is also worth mentioning here yes. because yes, there was a lot of tension there as well. Like her fathers had these children from so many different uh, women, and they obviously they like they only showed the three in the drama: Sotevung, Sodana, and um, the brother who was like fighting Dana for the company. And even there, I <laughs> so thought that's such so a much. great word for this guy. He's a nopa. <laughs> The one who's like a nopa. <laughs> if you haven't read her drama addict diary, the most recent one, she um she called the older not the older brother, but the one who's been like falsified to be her older brother. He's nopa, like a not an opa. <laughs> Saya comes yeah. up with the best names. So that's really <laughs> she has a gift. Read Saya's drama addict diaries, please. Yeah, yeah they're that's amazing. Brilliant. So nopa. He was also clearly, I think, a di- different kind of abuse, um, especially in the sense that how Dana had to fight fight him for her rights. Yeah, absolutely. But what was heartbreaking is kind of the way things panned out with between Dana and her father. Like she couldn't yeah. really. There was there is no way that you can win this fight if it's against your parent. And I mean, I guess vice versa, but not really because parents tend to be able to get what they want from their children unless the children cut ties completely. So um, if you're going to say that to your parents and your parents are abusive, there's you can't really get back to them unless you're unless you're Nopa, because Nopa clearly had absolutely no affection for the father. He was there for the inheritance. Yeah. So. Yeah, whereas she had a much more complex, like she was hurt, but then like she really cared about the company and she didn't want to le- like lose that, right? Like she could have just left, but then all of what she built in her professional life, which was really important to her and like kudos for the drama to have like a woman who's that committed to her career yeah. and is not willing to just be like, yeah, I'm in love now. Let's just drop yeah, everything. Yeah, like committed and- enough to break up with this boy she loves because he clearly is not suited to that world. Um, also, like he's so young, like dating him will get her in some all sorts of scandal and like more issues and yeah. challenges to her authority. So, like real kudos to depicting her commitment. And also, Hisapi reminds us that Dana's brother really deserved a hug. Yeah. Oh boy, he was oh such God. a sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. I. I just didn't know what to like. Um. So this this actor is uh. Che Jae-hyun. I hadn't seen him anything in anything else, but oh my god. He was just so happy to see Dana when they met for the first time and he was sick and she had just come apparently for some other reason to casually see this about this, uh, not a stepbrother, half-brother that she had only heard about but never met before. And he was so grateful that she had come to visit. And I could completely understand his puppy-like devotion to her. Yeah. Even though initially I was like, wait, what, why? But then it totally made sense. Also, yeah. like, who okay. wouldn't be completely impressed with Donna and just want to follow her around all the She's time? She's like, I that would. That's totally true. <laughs> Even if she was being mean to me, I'd be like, can I just <laughs> be in your presence? <laughs> yeah, true. I think we saw just about enough um, of uh, the, uh, the Idol Brother story, Donatly, because it's... It's it's a story. It's it's a very obvious story. He's yeah. a half brother. He would never have been brought into the family home if it wasn't for the fact that their dad realized that all of his children have some kind of a heart issue. And what if one of them pop off and he needs a spare? So he just yeah. pulled all of them in. Their father was kind of a horror. <laughs> yeah. 
It was interesting too, right? Where they had like on the surface, he seems less horrible than Assemblyman Key. Like his manner is not as abrasive. He reads comics. Yeah, he's like a little. He's not as like overtly aggressive Evil. and mean. But if you look at what he's done, to his it's family. horrifying. Yeah, Terrible. like like she didn't even have her birth registered for ten months. Can you imagine doing that to your own child? Like. Yeah, and other things as well. Like, like I, what was it? Was it a charity run? Oh, there was something that Dana like planned from the start, and at the very end, he pulled it out from under her, and he gave that credit to Nopa. He's like, yeah, he's like, your brother's useless. So let me just yeah. steal your accomplishments, and give them to him, so that he has I mean, something to, to his name. So I loved how he wiped out at the race, though. That was extremely <laughs> sad. It's like a moment of gratification. But it also tells you how, man, how blind are fathers? Because, I mean, you can only do this thing, snatching her accomplishment and giving it to her brother as long as you're alive. What happens after you're dead? How is this completely incompetent heir of yours ever going to live up to what Dana was, uh, is? He yeah. can't. It, the mask will fall. Yeah. But I mean, the, the denial um, involved in sexism is very powerful. So, yeah. I thought it was a pretty impressive way of showing that too. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, Nopa could have been dating a much younger woman and that would have been acceptable okay. and cool and his competency yeah. wouldn't have been questioned. But Dana couldn't date Yonghua without that being an issue, right? So, yeah, absolutely. There's also another aspect of it. We should talk about it in the next segment. Anissa, can we uh, join to uh, jump to the one after the next one? Because I think that's sure. more relevant to what we're talking about right now. Let's do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is our next one. Yonghua and Dana. And the I movie am the one with complaints. <laughs> I have so many complaints. Here's looking at you, kid. That's the movie. God, yeah. guess the movie. Everyone knows this movie. <laughs> Just, yeah, okay. That's true. But, but guess it anyway, yeah. Yes, let's hear it. Because me and, I think me and Paroma, is, or we're like, Paroma, we're like really totally on board with it. So we, maybe we, we should hear uh, what you like about the romance first. And then I'll tell you what I don't like. You're right, okay. CBB, it's Casablanca. It is Casablanca. There was a reference to the movie in the drama too, so. It was. Uh, okay, so my thoughts, I'm not going to give general thoughts. I just wanted to talk about that, um, the reasons for that breakup. I don't think it was just because he was a much younger man. It was because he was he was at the cusp of starting this career as a painter yeah. and he would have a long journey. And to have that journey... Uh, kind of be overshadowed by Dana's journey because it would become public that they're dating and then soon it would be a situation of um, because as an artist he has to be independent or otherwise it's completely overshadowed maybe I'm overthinking it but I figured that Dana would have considered all of these things that staying in a relationship with her would mean that she could never have an independent growth as an artist so or a person for that matter he's what 22 23 and yeah. 23 yeah yeah and his entire life would have just been like oh that's the guy that um dana dates or dated and that's just a horrible thing to start with when you're that young agreed and what i really loved about this couple is um like in the beginning we were all because we're obsessive k-drama fans we were like is miju a candy is she not a candy and like young is the candy right like we're pretty we're pretty clear on that at this point right he's a candy he's like a poor student he's really young he's very naive he's innocent he has like a big heart that he just 
you know, he he just gives it to people and he like literally he just like gives honey to people. Like that's a very Aww. on the nose symbol. Like all he's just like spreading sweetness wherever he goes. Um, super wholesome. And I really liked that this was a secondary couple where they actually explored how difficult it would be to have a happy ending in this like typical K-drama Cinderella story mm-hmm. setup. Like in reality, how how possible would it really be for two people like this, like a really rich person who's um, dealing with like power struggles in the company that they're trying to inherit from their parents um, and, a, and a young, like innocent Carefree. person who's still, yeah, who's still like trying to figure out their life. And, um, you know, and like it was really well done in the sense that you could totally see why they liked each other and were attracted to each other. And but like the same things that they loved about each other were kind of the things that made that impossible for them to be together then. Um, and then there was like an opening, you know, like a possibility that they might get back together in the future. Yeah. So I liked that. Yeah. That though I actually got really confused by that. But again, we save that for the end because that's the ending. <laughs> okay. Shall I touch upon what I did not like? <laughs> Let's hear it. I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> I agree with a lot of what Anissa said. But at the same time, so I kind of disliked Yonghua Yong from the get-go, particularly once he started interacting with Dana, because I found him very forceful. You know, she barely remembered his name. She didn't give him her phone number. But he kept yeah. trying to force this contact with her that she was not into. And that made me uncomfortable to watch. And then I found him pretty unprofessional. You know, if I were an art student and I had this big commission, I mean... I think I'd be thrilled about the commission. I would be doing my best on that painting. You know, I'd want to be displayed on the art gallery. Like, he's a poor student. He should, he hasn't lived that life yet, but he should know how hard it is. And like his whole behavior where he's just like, oh, he's all about this romance and he's trying to flirt with her. He's not doing the painting. He's like delaying it. You know, uh, at one point he gets angry with her and he ruins the painting that he does have so far. Like, I was so angry because, you know, my own experience, I've tried to write whatever. I I know how hard it is. I'm sure other people know how hard it is. Like, I found him so unprofessional and I found him so forceful with Dana, especially at first before she developed an interest in him as well, that I couldn't like his character. And I And that dislike stayed with me till pretty much the very end. I just found him to be entitled and bratty and really not worth her time and energy till the very end. That was just, yeah... That was me. <laughs> wow, interesting. You know, I I guess I kind of see that now that you pointed out. But to me, like the way that he pushed back against a lot of the things she said were pretty justified because she does like she says some pretty horrible things to she him does. early on. Like you're a peasant and like she treats she him like just a like he exists just to fulfill her whatever she did. De- like she's extremely um, autocratic with him. And I so I feel like all of part of that well. for him was just him like realizing the huge difference and the power that they each had and trying to like take some of that power. But yeah. I guess I can see where because he is still a man, some of that might come across as upsetting, although I didn't find it. Yeah. To be- I, I, well, I kind of agree. Like I do like that he pushed back on a lot of the points like where she was being autocratic. But at the same time, I feel like he took it too far and I was uncomfortable watching like some of his overt attempts to like try and get close to her um they made me slightly awkward so i partially unprofessionalism. sorry what i most dislike was his unprofessionalism i've said this and i'll say it again he was too unprofessional for my liking so 
Okay. I guess I'm like older than him enough that I'm just like, oh, wow, you're such a kid. <laughs> Go for it. Sorry. Okay. So I, I agree with Rimi about the unprofessionalism thing, but I also think... See, I understand Yongha. Not the part where he's madly in love with this woman who wouldn't give him the time of the day, but she secretly likes him. Think, because that that's never happened to me. But I <laughs> kind of get the part where where um, he has been given this commission that could actually be really great for his career. And yes, if, if he could be completely detached about it and had no emotional mm. investment then yes, he probably would have just done the painting like he does his school assignments. But then if he was detached, maybe he wouldn't have that kind of emotion that attracted Dana in the first place. There, there is that. However, the paintings that Dana liked never had his emotions connected to a person. So it's not like he'll be completely incapable of creating a painting that she mm. would love. It's, and also, mind you, eventually the painting he ends up creating is not something like he usually creates it's something that is inspired specifically by his feelings for her so the end products is very much a product of their relationship yeah but okay this is the part where i understand him if you have and this is not this is not the romantic feelings part it's it's sometimes what happens is uh maybe i'm working on a project and maybe the person i'm working for there's something I really can't get on board with them and or about them or something about our communication is just not working out. I am going to try and not think about doing that project or giving that answer for as long as I can. And yes, I know it's unprofessional. It took me a while to kind of decide, hey, if it's not working out in the first client call, give it a second client call and end this. We are not going to draw it out, but I used to draw it out. I feel him. Younger me, 20-something well. me, I would have just been bearing it. I would be ignoring emails. I would be like, I just do not want to deal with this. I have to say no to this person. That would have just ended it. But no, I couldn't do it because I couldn't explain to myself why I was feeling like this because there was no actual concrete reason. I do agree with this. Like something about the project's not clicking and you have to talk to the client that commissioned this project to get it right. And here he was not able to make that contact with uh, Dana. So there I see, and even I agree, because this is something that occurred to me as well. I 100% agree. But I feel like because he, I don't know, I just feel like because he layered in these romantic intentions and, you know, because he like really, I, I feel like he really pushed himself into her life. Like it just, it went too far for me. But I really agree with you there, Paroma, as well. Yeah, I think what saved him for me is that when she did ask him to back off and be like, don't message me directly, he didn't. He stopped doing that. And even yeah, when they were in a relationship... <laughs> yeah, so... We're secretary Jung, man. <laughs> oh my God, that was so cute. He had such it's... a tough life. <laughs> the poor man. And the thing is, I initially I was like, I'm... Okay, so because my brain is probably in the gutter, I don't know. Um, I was like, wait, are they trying to show a kind of relationship between Dana and uh, Secretary Jung? But no, no, it's not that. It's just that he felt this almost a, a vuncular, I don't know, feeling of needing to protect Dana. And so he would um, advise her or make decisions that would, you know, make sure that nothing goes wrong for Dana's eventual plan. Because of all people, he was her teammate in her work. Yeah. He was the one who, I mean, we even see that towards the end where she finally gets where she wants to get and she steps out of the car and 
and they have that moment where she's like we are here and he's like yeah it happened because we stuck together <laughs> i love their teamwork so also much. like it seems to me cuz you know there's that scene where she goes to the US and uh Taewong is like did you come to see me i'm so excited to meet you she's like no i'm here for jung he he's mine <laughs> i'm taking him <laughs> back and i was like oh this is probably like the one non-toxic adult that she's had in her life yeah. you know like almost like a not a parental figure but someone that actually was a mentor and like helped her so that was really i liked that a lot and his cats him and his cats <laughs> and that was I so also, cute with the scratch oh my god and i love that miju comes in sees a scratch on his arm and it's like did dana didn't do it <laughs> because reasonable expectation that's how dana has set herself up and he's like no it was my cat <laughs> So I want to touch upon this. There was some LGBTQ representation in the show as well. Like, yeah. Na ya yan a points out. She reads, I was intrigued that the writer wrote me as asexual and even Dana as being bisexual. I'm not sure if Dana was bisexual or she was just using like the lesbian she, excuse. She was, she was, she yeah, seemed but, to be. You know, there are a few things to note. Like other than, so there's firstly Dana using that, uh, that she's lesbian as an excuse to get out of marrying some random person. or being forced into marriage then there is the i forgot his name yonghwa's gay friend who uh, yejun yejun yeah. yeah and yejun i mean eventually ending up with a boyfriend of his own that's amazing k-dramas rarely show such a positive happy ending for gay characters i barely have gay characters so that that was amazing and his whole coming out arc um and may being asexual and Never seen that before. Yeah, asexual represent that was amazing and um in a relationship with secretary Jong. <laughs> Fascinating. I think like there are three separate points to touch upon when you talk about LGBTQ uh, within this drama which is a lot more than I've seen ever. And let's say even though Yejun's story was very much on the side, I don't think it served any relevance to the main story at all. like his he didn't have to have a crush on yonghwa what point what was the point of that he didn't have to come out to his mother like what was the point of showing that in the context of the main story and they even at the very ending they had this little scene of him introducing a boyfriend to yonghwa none of this had to be there it had no relevance to the main story but that it was there at all i think is another example of like the slight shift in how korean primetime dramas are treating lgbtq characters Yeah. Um it was just there as acceptance and tolerance and it's a nice message to send across to viewers regardless. I completely agree. The one thing that bothered me about Dana uh from I think that because this was introduced so quickly uh in the beginning was that she was she was basically co-opting yeah. the uh the gay struggle to for her own benefit and I really hated it and I was like wait this drama is so aware of itself about everything else why why and then i love that scene where she goes and apologizes to um yejun because she had been using it using that light to shield herself i love how this becomes like like retrospectively makes itself less less toxic because there's also that scene where like younghwa posts her photo on instagram and i was like oh like he just took a picture of her while she wasn't looking and then they found out later that she asked like he asked her permission i was like oh consent there is consent yay now i don't have to hate younghwa it was yeah. great like you know you have this development and and the drama is like recognizing you know mm-hmm. like we did this uh, this thing earlier on maybe for plot reasons or character reasons mm-hmm. but then they like deal with it they don't just drop it completely 
And I just want to read out um, for listeners Mary Sue's comment. There's nothing wrong with me being with Secretary Jong. Asexual people can and do have relationships. And I really agree. Absolutely. And they point that out. The uh, drama addresses that. They yeah. ask, one of them asks a question and me answers it. It's yeah. actually properly addressed. I love exactly. that. Yeah. So I feel like, like the, none of this was like relevant to the main plot, but I was there at all. It's just a really nice message to send to viewers, younger viewers, whatever. Like, you know how stories can shape your point of view of the world. Yeah, agreed. Oh, also, CV points out how I agree that there was a running theme of Dana being, uh, like, she was determined to be Miju's friend and she kind of seemed really into Miju. She liked her right off the bat. And Miju was super resistant about it. She's, She's like, like, why do you keep acting like we're close? We're not close. And Dana was like, I'm not doing that. She's like, you totally are. <laughs> Stop telling me your secrets. That was so good. I want to be close to you. Stop ending up at my house drunk and and like confiding in me. Why? Yeah, there were scenes. There were like, I think twice Secretary Jong. Poor thing was like woken up from his sleep and had to drive Dana down to Miju's house. He's wearing like casual clothes. Hilarious. Also, this is what I like about Dana. Once she realized that Secretary Jong was uh, dating May, she voluntarily was like, I'm, I, I, I will stop bothering you during weekends <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, so then you can't help but like the girl. Like if you give her a reasonable situation where what she's doing is making another person unhappy or it's not working out, she'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'll back off. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. Shall let's we move on to the on? next topic. Yeah, we're over an hour here. Okay, let's let's quickly talk about this. I mean, come on, guys, that the movie is in the coat. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, no credit because it's actually the title, Lost in Translation. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about like, um, and we talked about this already some, but just about how the communication, like the theme of communication, of miscommunication, and like how the characters really work on communicating with each other and where they get from the beginning to the end of the drama and how they progress. And like what Borma said about how in the end, um, Sunkyam and Miju were like, oh, like we totally just, we were on the same page. And then there's that flashback of them at the police station where they're like talking at cross purposes and they're totally like saying different things. Um, so yeah, any thoughts on that that we haven't already mentioned? I have one that's not, you know, so far we've discussed the romances, but I'd like to mention this within a non-romantic context in the drama, which is the whole Wushik story arc mm. um, and the abuse that he was enduring at first in the team and how he did not talk about it to anyone. It's it, Maybe it's not necessary, but I, I found that, you know, his keeping a silence, I, it was so important to his staying on the team and to keeping that peace within that team as by sacrificing himself and his well-being. Um that that lack of communication and then this is all concluded pretty early in the show which I think is why it doesn't stand out but to me Wushik's story arc really stood out so you know and then pretty early on we have him agreeing to open up and speak out about it to reporters and then we see the repercussions of that where he's kicked out of the team despite being the victim himself and then how much difficulty later on Sankyam has finding a team for him so this is I guess somewhat tied into communication but like a very overt example of when Communication can actually have, you know, I, I mean, I thought, I'm not phrasing this right, but I thought it was a very complex um, situation. Yeah. And the way it was communicated and the way it was handled, like, that needed a lot of delicacy. Um, and I think perhaps not as much delicacy was shown in the in how the 
the the show handled it with a lot of delicacy and really well but in the way the characters dealt with it um was somewhat sometimes somewhat abrasive i'm so glad that you brought that up because you're so right about how he wasn't able to talk about it and then um as ella points out when sungyam brought it up he was literally saying i assaulted someone and everyone was just like nope we didn't see anything you didn't do anything you were just disciplining him right and he like wasn't he was like no i'm not gonna let you get away with this and the the wall there was so strong. And yeah. then so for Wushik to, he literally had to go and like have his words translated into English and then back into Korean for people to actually hear what he was saying, which I thought was so, it, it like works so well on so many levels because it's like, A, he's like trying to speak, nobody's understanding him. And then there's like the whole act of translation, which it's used so beautifully in so many ways where Miju is translating like literally for her job. But then she also is so good at sort of translating the world yeah, to in a way that makes sense to Sungyum. She kind of works on trans figuring out how to translate his language into a language that she understands. And um, it's just it's so it just works so well. I love all of that stuff. Yeah, I feel like like communication as a theme really played center stage in this show with Me Too as a translator, her translating between languages. I think you made a really great point about her translating the world to Sankyum and his language to other people in the world. Again, for me, Wushik really stood out because of how communication placed him in a lot of trouble. And then, um, however, eventually in the longer run, helped him find himself in a much better place. And I also want to bring up one more thing. Sorry, Borma, then I'll let you speak. But I want to bring up the scene where after she, um, when she's working on that movie and that American director basically like says all that racist stuff to the people Aww. on set. And then she's having that conversation with Sun Kim after she's basically been fired. I, guess. I don't know if she's been fired yet. But anyway, it's at night and he like brings her food. She's drinking on that on those steps. Um, and she's like, it's just so infuriating to me that like, I think so much about like every single word that I use in order to, you know, be clear and to not hurt other people with my words. And then there's people who just say whatever and they can, you know, like use racial slurs or just like go on a power trip or, and they don't even think about it. And I really loved how they connected communication to power, you know, and like there's a lot of stuff about power in this drama, like about the bullying, about like, you know, the class differences and, you know, Assemblyman Key has his political power and he, he like tweets like Trump. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, his secretary is like, stop tweeting, sir. Um, but it, I love how they connected those two things because it's so true. Like if you have power, you can like people will hear your voice. Um, and if you don't, no matter how loudly you're screaming, people just shut your voice down. So yeah, that's true. I loved that. Well said. Oh, you guys just said everything. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I agree and I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just very quickly. Yes, absolutely. This um, I've already said a lot about how the dialogues were just like building relationships, building. Um, it was. Gee, this drama is just really good. Let's move on to something else. Let's go to the ending then. Let's let's move on to the ending. Or um, wait. Oh, we wanted oh. to talk about our favorite things first, right? Yes, we were. We did. This is a quote, by the way, if anybody wants to guess. These are a few of our favorite things. Oh, come on. Everyone can <laughs> guess this. We all know this one. <laughs> um, but 
Guess anyway, guess, because it's fun to put your comments up on screen. Yeah, what were some of your favorite scenes? Remy, what were some of your favorite scenes they haven't mentioned yet? Other than episode six ending, which is like so beautiful. I loved, I actually really, you know, I would love to see a drama with like Kim Bushik as the lead fighting for his like Olympic dreams or whatever. So for me, I really enjoyed watching the the training, you know, once Ki Sung Gyeom started training him and like how that whole arc played out. There was that scene where Kim Bushik is running and he falls and he collapses and Sun Kyung, um is just like, you know, how do you feel about what's happening? Oh, sorry at my end one sec. I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Good service. <laughs> That's excellent. And the day has been guessed by uh, Ella, Natalie, uh, and CBB. <laughs> oh, and also Dr. Nanan. <laughs> And sound Nyanon. music. Yes. <laughs> What's the name um, of the song? These are a few of my favorite things. Isn't it? <laughs> I no. Is it? I don't know. Like I don't remember. That's what that's I call that song. I like raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens. Should we just start singing now? <laughs> Let's forego that part. <laughs> uh, I have so many favorite moments, honestly. Um, I think... The practically the first scene, the first time they meet is is so ridiculous. Oh, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> such a cute meet cute. That was the best. It was so weird. At like I watched episode one, and I was like, "This is so weird." I love how weird this is, and it never totally lost that weirdness, which is great. <laughs> that is that is totally true. Oh yes, all all of the sepia black and white scenes, like all of the candy movie scenes, were. <laughs> Yes, so yes. thank you for pointing that out. Yes. Because, I mean, especially because they had Miju and Dana play orphan children who were seven and eight year old. <laughs> and I was like, that works. This totally works. And, and then, then um, Yuki Wu is this like serial killer. Like blood yeah. <laughs> And then she was like, I'll be your mom. And they were like, okay. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Also, yeah, all the movie references, the Godfather <laughs> reference was my favorite. Oh my god, that was done so well. Yeah. It was so good. It was like a long, it wasn't just like a line or, you know, it was like a long, you know, there was building anticipation, you heard the music, and then like you slowly panned down, and then <laughs> there's your head in the, oh, it was so good. Oh, also, when uh, when Sangyeom teaches Miju how to run. That's true, Alice. That was, again, oh, by the way, the whole elbow thing, I didn't know that. And I've been running for at least a year pretty regularly. And it does help. It improves how you run. Really? I love, yeah, I learned I'm that from this drama. <laughs> <laughs> wow, practical advice. My posture has been wrong for running for like the entire year. <laughs> the things dramas teach us. Right? Oh, also, Miju's love for guns, the fake gun thing. I, I initially I did not get it, but then I was like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> well, I mean, kind of makes sense that she like also that real guns are not actually allowed to be civilian owned, so they make fake, fake replicas. I didn't know any of this stuff, so it was like online discussions that educated me more about this. This drama has apparently taught me a lot more than I realized. <laughs> Uh, there was a scene where, like, uh, sorry, I'm obsessed with Wushik. Wushik, uh, Sun Kyung, <laughs> the, the guy who's always coming first in races, uh, and Young Hwa, like, all of them meet. And this guy's like, you stay with <laughs> Sun Kyung. And he's like, you've been his friend. <laughs> yes, that that's funny. what I wanted to say. Any scene with Young Il was my favorite. 
Um, and also just in general, like, I loved how we constantly got new combinations of characters. And every time it was like, so good and so entertaining, because usually you just have these four characters, you have like different constellation of these four main characters. And like by episode eight, you're like, okay, let's have the same conversation again for the 30th time. But no, like every time we get these weird new combinations, like that scene where they come out and, and May's just on the slide. And then like, Secretary Jung just like slowly emerges from the playground. <laughs> and you're like, what is happening? Oh, 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 oh. I have to mention. Oh, I forgot. The birthday party where like Miju and Sunkyum are looking at each other and they're like heartbroken and there's this romantic music and they're like all sad. And then on the in the side you see like everybody else just like come and they're like fighting. And it's like that scene in Parasite where they're just like all in a clump and they're fighting. <laughs> And it's just like happening in the background. I died. Oh, and that's where Secretary Jung and uh, May kind of. I love that too. Like this was done much later in a flashback. That that moment that was like this tense post breakup moment where two heartbroken lovers were seeing each other across the space, yeah. and all of that stuff was just background to Secretary Jung and May's great love affair that was just starting. <laughs> It was so amazing because it just like slowly builds from the time that Taeyong yeah. shows up to confront Younghua, and then like this fight slowly like gets more people get added to yeah. the fight, and so, the, and it just like keeps you keep like going out, and then you see the whole scene, and then and later just oh, it's just add, so like, good. That's 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 partly what I love about like nobody's a side character. Everyone yeah. clearly has their own lives and their own stories, and we're given glimpses of it. But like at no point does any one character live for other characters. Like I truly felt that everyone was a rich character, um, fleshed out their own lives. Like that was so nicely done. And this, sun, this scene, like, like what it meant to different people and how that's shown to us really depicts that beautifully. Yeah, it was beautiful. Like even for Ye-chan, that's where her mom confronts her about boxing. And that's like... <laughs> Another, just another layer, you know, like it was amazing. There was this one moment, uh, actually a couple of moments. So you remember there was this one moment where Miju and me were at in May's office and they had this small, slightly pissy moment and May kind of like snapped at, uh, sorry, Miju snapped at me and walked away. And then like two feet away, she like does an about turn, comes back and apologizes to me. <laughs> that was so, that was just, that that really got me. The other moment that really stood out for me was um, the actual confession scene. Like, <laughs> mm, because... That was nice. On the bench? On the bench. And and like you said, like the awkwardness afterwards. Like there was no... It, it's not like, hey, we confessed to each other, we kissed, and now we are totes in relationship, everything <laughs> figured out. <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, um, related to like how everybody's on their own journey... I love that scene where, um, like, Sungyum goes back to Miju's house for um, ramen. And she was like, who do you think is the person who's going to stay with you the longest? Mm, that was very meaningful. Thanks for remembering that. And she was like, it's me. I'm going to be the one that stays with myself the longest. So, like, you need to love yourself. And she's like, that's how we could stay together for a long time is if we love ourselves. And, yeah, I loved that because it's so... Opposite of the usual, like, I'm going to die for you. Yeah. You're the only one for yeah. me. My life that, has meaning that, because that I love nice. you kind of and thing. Like, they retain their own identities, right? They're not only about the other person. Uh, that was really nicely done. I agree. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Nanon, um, 
Naya Yan, I'm sorry, asks if there was a time skip in episode 16. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if there was a time skip. There seemed to have mm. been like kind of like a shift into montage uh, situation while time passes. Agreed. Yeah. Like they showed us the passage of time. Without, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because Miju started uh, uh, subtitling Candy's, you know, movie, which is Candy, I think. <laughs> Codename Candy. Codename Candy. And then the movie more or less ends with the screening of that movie. Mm. So there was definitely a passage of time there. But it wasn't like years, you know, no, probably, no. you know, a few months. And then you get to this is, I think, maybe a good way to segue into our thoughts on the ending. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the last topic we cover is thoughts on the ending. And the quote is just keep swimming. Um, just this keep swimming. Oh, swim. Alice makes a really good point. I love how she asked him if he wanted ramen. And the next shot was of them in bed. Sankyam asking where the ramen is. And then he's totally trolling her. And like for once he actually knows what she means. And she's just like, wait, you don't know what that means. Natalie, yes, finding Nemo. Yes, finding Remo. You're right. I didn't remember it actually. Anisa had to point out it was from Disney, and then I was like, "Wait, I it has it? Does it have something to do with fishes?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so bad at this. Okay, um, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, just our thoughts on the ending. Yeah. <laughs> just keep swimming, Koroba. It's okay. Right. Let's keep going. Hmm. Yeah, we need to wrap this up. It's been an hour and 20 minutes. Oh my Sorry, God. guys. We got too excited. We we are kind of overshot by like 40 minutes at this point. Oh, wow. I, by the way, this, this time limit wasn't communicated to me. What? It was it was uh, mental. It was more of a goal that we were okay. vainly hoping for. But. Okay. So um, something that I had an issue with, as someone pointed out earlier, I'm sorry, I forget uh, who the commenter was. I really did not like that they tried to kind of redeem um, the dad, Assemblyman Key, because he is, he's so unredeemable. It's, he should have just been left out in the cold while everyone was in the warm theater watching the release. Honestly, I just... Yeah, like yeah. I liked that he kind of lost everything and was abandoned by everyone yeah. and he couldn't use them anymore. That was like perfect. But then like, why did he show up at the premiere and why did she accept the flowers from him? Like, yeah. I thought just- of it as, I actually understood it a little differently. Like I thought that, you know how I mentioned there had been a distance between the family members from the get-go. I think it's just that um, he's no longer part of their lives, but he's still a person that, is part of the family, right? So he's come to the premiere, but like he doesn't sit with the actress, I think, like Yukji Wu. He sits at on the other side of the overall, like I felt I felt it was just like, you know, he's lost um the election. So he doesn't have anything anything to use them for. Rather than say he has no mm. use for them, he doesn't have anything to use them for anymore. Yeah. Um so maybe he's just being normal and nice. That's that's a good point also, Dr. T, of like, she just, she didn't make a big deal out of it. Like, she just, like you said, took the flowers and kept it moving. Like, she just yeah. was like, okay, thanks. Yeah. And it was still about her. It was her day. Um, she didn't give him too much of her time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, I feel like he was just, you know, he's a character. He was there at the ending scene. Um, yeah. But it wasn't necessarily an indication of them letting him enter their lives again. Like, it was the mo- premiere of a movie. He's there for his ex-wife. End of story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, so, uh, CBB at a, a great point. It was, it was yeah. hard for me to watch him sit beside Jimmy too. It was, 
I, if there had been any kind of confrontation between the father and daughter before that happened, I would have been more comfortable. But the only communication we got to see between them before that was when he was lying to his daughter's face as she assured him that she'll take care of the scandal and won't affect her. And <sighs> yeah, and, and but it was I, like so painful to watch her like being in that sort of thankful, grateful pose towards him when like we as the audience were like 90% sure that he was the one who did it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so yeah. gross. It was so gross. It was. It and was even really... if he hadn't and she didn't know that, like he was the whole reason he was like pimping her out at the golf course in the first place. So if he hadn't done that, which was like so obviously she knows that he did that, obviously, like. I don't know. But I do think, like, it does show how um, people who are in these kind of abusive relationships for a long time kind of have a hard time letting go of their, you know, their love and their relationship with the abuser because they had this conversation at one point. I don't remember when him, uh, like, Sungyum and Umbi about how it was in some ways easier for Sungyum to detach himself and stand up to his father because he never really had a relationship with him in the first place. Whereas Unbi did live at home. She did have more of a relationship with her parents. You know, like he was always away and he never was at home. But she and that and she like apologizes to him, I think, at one point where like he was so much more alone than she was. So I feel like maybe that it's trying to show that that she she can't disengage herself as easily yeah. as he can. And so and it's realistic, you know, like not everyone who goes through these kind of childhoods can just like brush everything off and be like, yeah, I'm t- cutting you out of my life because you're a toxic influence. I'm going to live my best life. Like that's unfortunately not how things always work. So that's true. And it, I guess with that context in mind, it does make sense that Songyum was the one who could speak up in both situations, both in the professional. Oh, this is the point I wanted to make about Songyum. I totally forgot. <laughs> Uh, so in the professional field, Sangyum could make his voice heard because he had realized that at his peak, he was probably always going to stay second on the field. And he was okay with that. It's not, it wasn't like a horrible struggle for him. But he, he liked his achievements, but this is how far he was going to go. He knew he was going to retire. So he threw everything away to, you know, help Wushik. And once he committed to that, he was not ready to back down, even though everybody was like, why are you doing this? But I found that was so practical of uh, Songyum. Like he was in a position of power. He could, his voice was, even though it was suppressed, it was still much louder than Bushik and slightly harder to suppress, a lot harder to suppress than Bushik's. So he used that because he knew he was going to exit anyway. And similarly with his dad, he knew that his sister couldn't speak up against Asunbiman. So he yeah. was the one who did it for her. Because And there was that point where Yunbi is like, well, why are you doing this? And he's like, you took care of me when I was a kid. You stood up for me. So now I'm standing up for you. Mm. I just want to touch upon something Dr. Chase point out, pointed out. It's so gendered too. Guys can live on their own easier than women. So yeah, yeah actually that... Totally like, agreed. Sankyum being a guy has it so much easier than Unbi when it comes to speaking up. And women are socialized so much more to just yeah. not defend themselves and not speak up. So yeah, definitely yeah. agree. Also, Nanon, you're absolutely right. I really wanted to see Ryan. At least a glimpse of this Once, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was picturing him as like an alternate universe Brian Gold, even though I know that's not the case. Except I can't imagine Brian Gold running away. It's just, yeah. That's true. That's true. But that's that's what comes to my mind. (laughs) 
Um, Dr. Chi uh, asks why Sangeem retired and he retired because one, he had kind of reached his peak and he mm-hmm. was also aging out of the sport. And two, because he had just decided he was going to like no longer do this thing. It it was just, I suppose, a men- mental space that athletes get into at uh, some point. So I, I also feel like he kind of reached his breaking point. And so he was thinking like, now is the time. Like, I'm finally going to stop taking all of this and I'm going to stand up for myself. And he did that in like every aspect of his life, not just in the sport, but with his father, you know, like in the conversations that he started having with his mom and his sister and uh, kind of in the conversations he was having with Miju as well, which I think he hadn't really done that kind of thing with anyone before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for him, he was like, well, I'm going to retire soon anyway. And even his father understood this because when he asked him, he was like, just do it for two more years. So like he is anyway aging out, like you said, Parma. And so he was like, why not use this moment and like give it a lot of impact instead of just like quietly fading away after, you know, a successful career. And also we should remember that he had initially wanted to be a javelin thrower. This was not the career he had chosen. This was always the career his father had chosen. And he had kept at it and been good at it because one, he is an athlete and two, I suppose eventually he got, he actually mentioned it at some point that he fell in love with running at at some point because it it cleared yeah. his mind. But it was not his first choice. So it kind of makes sense that giving up running in a way would also be gaining independence. So, oh mm. my, okay. So I, I just want to uh, give a shout out to the comments here. Um, Ella Frappes just mentioned that apparently uh, in Discord, the fans are obsessed with uh, Brian and they want him to be Kim Sun-ho. <laughs> I thought that I thought that that's what Kim Sun-ho was going to be. I thought that's what he was going to do when he came on. I was like, yeah, wait, what? Yeah, but that cameo was such a waste. Like, what was the point at all of that particular scene? They could have done so much. Like, he would have been a random guy that tried to flirt with Miju. And then, you know, Sun Kim came in. Like, it, it could have been, there could have been so much there. <laughs> that's but, so trophy. Or like a... <laughs> if Sun Kim... Remy, if Sakyam had come in while Miju was being flirted with by another guy, he would have just like politely taken a seat slightly separately yeah, till you know Miju was I done talking. I would have loved to see that. Like I would have loved to see that. I think that would be super funny or like a black and white like a movie thing. Fun. I think mm-hmm. Kim Sun Ho's cameo could have been so much more. He could have it, been it Ryan. Could have been. I would have. I would it have really liked it if it was Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, I think we are fine. We are at one hour, 30 minutes now. We really should we be have, now. Yeah, we've exhausted ourselves. We've exhausted you. Thanks for sticking around. Um, thank you so much, Rimi, for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always so much fun. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work on the internet? Um, so I am at soulbeats.com. We also review dramas. We review a lot of K-pop. We talk about industry events, social cultural events. Please join us. We are pretty critical. Uh, not always positive. So be prepared for that. Critical in a good way, though. Critical in a good yeah. way. Very so smart. Please, please find us there. And otherwise, my my Twitter is just at underscore P-A-Y-O-D-H-I. Yes, go check her out. Her writing is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and and- go ahead. <laughs> and, and we're really bad at this pattern, but we're going to give it a shot. And you can find uh, Dramas Over Flowers on uh, Twitter at Dramas Over Flow. And Anisa, what was next? <laughs> Your personal Twitter. Personal Twitter, right. My personal Twitter is at Festive <laughs> And my personal Twitter is 
at Anissa Khalifa underscore. And you can find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. Yes. <laughs> and we are on Facebook. Just Google um, or search our Facebook, Dramas Over Flowers. But more especially, come and read Saya's Drama Addicts Diary on our blog, Dramas Over Flowers. Really, I have to check it out. Nopa is brilliant. Nopa is yes. like, I have to check this out. Yeah, she has a way with words. She like puts it right exactly on and in a way that makes you laugh for days. So, and you can always email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. We loved your emails. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.